Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy talks about the highly debated issue of loving Christians who are weaker in the faith. Enjoy the message. We are in Empires, Volume 4. This is our study in the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 14, and today Will kind of alluded to it. Uh, we're going to talk about debatable issues. In fact, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to navigate hard, sometimes debatable issues, the gray areas of life, the things that you know we might be fighting about, not fighting, but you know, talking about until Jesus comes back. And then we'll go right to the throne of Jesus and say, okay, who is right? So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about, as Will said, a little bit about the weaker Christian and the stronger Christian. We're going to hear all this different terminology. But today I want to tee it up. We're going to talk about the principles of how we're supposed to act and, and how we're supposed to decide is it a debatable issue or not. You, we need to be principled before we start talking about subjects. Does that make sense? So uh, let's get ready. Let's buckle up. Because I know in the weeks to come, uh, we're going to offend each other in this one, all right? So we're just all going to be on the same page on some of these issues. Uh, I, I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up uh, as a teenager in, in my home church in the 1990s. If you can go back to the midst of time to the 1990s, all right? And so that I grew up, that was my era of, of church as a teenager. And the reason why I bring this up, it was a dynamic time of church. It was dynamic in the sense that uh, it, uh, we were the only family on my street uh, in Iowa uh, that went to church. But something happened uh, in this season of church. Uh, God's spirit began to move to where people began to be heartbroken for the loss. They began to invite their family members. They began to invite their neighbors. And one by one, I began to see people down my street start attending our church. Like, it was exciting. Every time you went into the doors, they're like, who's going to show up next? Whoa, he's coming to church? That's crazy. I, I never thought that person ever come to church. Whoa, that guy's the druggie. Whoa, that guy, I, I, I'd never seen him. He's down the road. I thought he was an atheist. And then finally, when my neighbors started showing up, and one by one, the neighbors who didn't want anything to do with Christ. They met Christ. It was a beautiful season. People were hungry to see what God was going to do. And man, I want to tell you that that's not always what happens in church. Uh, we can get complacent or we can, we can assume it's going to happen. But what I just really desire is that we are as a church, somebody who's hungry to see God move each and every week through you personally, not vicariously watching other people do it. You see, people love environments. People love to go and watch people do things. But the beauty of the church is when God unlocks it in you and ministry begins to happen. And this is what was happening in the season in the 1990s. People were giving their lives to Christ each and every week. And you know who hated it? The enemy, Satan. There's nothing more Satan hates than a church that is on focus, on mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that's unwavering in its truth. And Satan hated it. And you know what? When you think of when Satan wants to destroy a church, you often think, okay, he's going to enlist a bunch of atheists to come to the door and just start arguing. He could, I guess. Or you might think, okay, he'll bring the agnostics in. Uh, no, 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 no. What he usually does is this. Is he pits Christian against Christian. And that's precisely, I'm just going to be completely open with you. That's a precisely what happened in this season of, of the church. It was good. It was on all cylinders. And then people started to get bored with the gospel. And they started fighting about other things. 
In the 1990s, it wasn't just my home church, it was about every other church, it was this thing called the worship wars. If you've been in the church world for a long time, if you're like brand new church, you'd just be glad you missed this, right? It's called the worship wars. People began to fight over styles and music and what type of songs to sing. And so my church was not immune of this. And so there was the A team, and the A team thought they were a, because they were anointed, right? And then there was the B team, and the A team thought the B team was the B team because they were boring, right? And, and, and so there was this like, dichotomy of just oddness, performance that was happening, and, and, and people were like, oh, the worship's great, but people began to bind to their own press. And listen, when God uses you, sometimes you can have the error of thinking that you're something. You can have the error of like, okay, I, I, I'm being used by God. I, I must be something special. Oh, you begin to lose it when you begin to think that way because we are nothing. We bring nothing to this world. We will leave with this world with nothing. But when you're in this world, God can do something through you. And he will. But when we bind our own press, oh, bad things happen. And that's exactly what happened. I remember a particular Sunday, this is etched into my brain, and oh, it grieves me when I see this happen in the churches, and I've seen this happen in churches, I've seen this happen in this church, I've seen this happen in the majority of churches, is when Christian will go against Christian. And I remember this person was singing a song, and they were from Team B, and, and they were, it was, it was, if I remember right, it was a song that was kind of old, uh, kind of outdated, but God moved through it. He moved to the congregation. The congregation was, was cut to the heart and, and, and the spirit of God moved through, through the congregation that morning. Uh, somebody from Team B, how is this possible? And so Team B went to backstage and, and, and the church was cut to the heart and waiting for them backstage was the leader of Team A and they were not having it. They began to get in the face of the Team B member and they said, how dare you use that song? You think that you can have the Spirit of God move through that? That's just a performance. And they began to just go back and forth and talking and at this point the worship was over with and the announcements were over with and the preacher began to preach but nobody was listening to the preacher because they were listening to what was happening backstage. Man, isn't that, isn't that life, right? Often what is going on backstage is louder than what's happening up front, right? And man... That morning, people remembered what was said behind stage. It was eking into the pews from the back, and it entered in a schism of the church. The team A left the church that morning. They took their ball, and they went home, and the church went into a rut for about two years. But I want to tell you today, I'm not going to say what church it is, but this church is doing beautiful because through those two years, they stuck on the gospel, and today they've tripled and quadrupled in size. Why? Because they did not take their eyes off the gospel. But yet, when the gospel is on all cylinders, forward motion, you better believe the enemy hates it. And if you're not prepared to say no to dumb fights, things that divide you, then you will succumb to it. And so this morning, I want you to know, Kenosha City Church, there have been many seasons that, that we've, you know, even in, even in our past where God does an amazing outpouring. I want you to know God is doing something really amazing even in our midst right now. And I'm going to tell you, Satan hates it. He hates it. And I believe that Romans chapter 14 is, a, is timely and it's for us this morning because God wants to take us as a church places we've never been before. God wants to take our church and reach places that have never been reached before in this city where Satan's like, it's off limits. Listen, where Satan says it's off limits, the gospel says, watch us, right? Watch us through the power of Jesus Christ, give the message of Jesus Christ, the life-giving message of Jesus Christ.
You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is make it or break it. You make it if you hold on to it. It's broken if you leave it behind you. If you get the gospel wrong, then everything else fails. We can't get it wrong. We can't. We can't get bored with the gospel. We get bored with the gospel. Well, we leave the mission behind. And what we end up doing, oh, listen to this. This, is, this might be a controversial statement. But if we leave the gospel behind, everything we do is an eternal epic waste of time. Well, wait a minute. No, 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 listen. It might not be a temporal waste of time, but when we stand before the Lord God Almighty, he's like, man, you filled your calendar with a lot, lot of things, but where is the gospel? Where is the truth of Jesus Christ? Where were the changed lives? Unfortunately, in the Western church, it's more about willing to fight for worship styles or disagreements on the gifts of the Spirit or, 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 or disagreements in the fill or order of, of service, the color of carpet, or maybe other topics like Public school or homeschool or essential oils or Tylenol or, or clothes that are in or out. You name it, you can fill in the blank and we fight it. And as a result, listen, I'm not to say that we can't have a discussion on these things. Oh, we're going to do that in a few weeks. But listen, here's the deal. Often we take the things of lesser importance and we do it at the expense of what's most important. It's the reason why the latest stats that we had, 4,500 churches in this country alone closed because we're taking our eyes off the gospel. Minor things, trivial things, selfish preferences. These are what the Bible calls debatable matters. Romans chapter 14, verse one. This is what Paul says. To the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Welcome anyone who is weak in faith. So here it is. But don't argue about disputable matters. But don't argue about disputable matters. Here's the main idea this morning. And we're going to build off this in the weeks to come. Don't make the major minor and the minor major. Don't make the major minor and the minor major. Major in the majors and minor in the minors. Look again at verse 1. Paul specifically uses the term disputable. Everybody say disputable, right? This phrase can be translated as one's opinion. In fact, if you're reading, I believe, in the ESV, it might say your opinion. Don't fight and divide or take your ball home over what's merely your opinion. And today, many people, they will divide, they will fight, they will do their own thing over what is just built-up opinions. Oh, how the church is not short on opinions today. If Jesus came so that you can have an opinion, he would have come back already. Oh, how the church is not short on opinions. And listen, opinions are always welcomed, but they're never as important as the gospel and biblical truth and living out obedience towards Christ and being the light of the world. So what is a debatable issue? <laughs> that's debatable? No, no, no. Actually, that's not, that's not debatable. What is a debatable issue? It's a behavior, an opinion, doctrine, or tradition in which Christians disagree due to the lack of specific biblical revelation. Let me say that again. It's a behavior, a doctrine, a tradition on which Christians disagree due to the lack of specific biblical revelation. Now, everyone should be, uh, uh, not everyone should, uh, 
agree necessarily on the style of song, order of service. Uh, and by the way, these things, and you can have an opinion on a number of things, our opinions should never be on the level of, let's say, the resurrection of Jesus. Am I right? You know, if, if you're picking out carpet color in the church, and by the way, we're going to be starting some construction here, right? Like, if you don't like it, listen, just remember, Jesus rose from the dead, right? So, debatable. It is the behavior, doctrine, tradition of which Christians disagree due to the lack of specific biblical revelation. Now, before we go further into debatable issues, let's talk about what's not debatable. This is really important. If I were to give this message maybe 10 years ago, I may have skipped or, or skimmed on this section, but a lot of things that are settled, that have been settled since the days of Jesus, uh, they are unsettled in our culture today. What's not debatable? Well, this is not an exhaustive list, but I'm gonna give you some big ones, all right? Number one, sin. Sin is not a debatable issue. For instance, Sex outside of marriage, of a one-man, one-woman marriage, is sin. Guess what? That just may have offended some people in here or may made people uncomfortable, right? Because I mean, that's so outdated. Listen, God is in no need of upgrade. Uh, who's in need of an upgrade is us, right? Uh, we get corrupted away from God's truth. Okay, that's, that's sin. Pornography, sin. Uh, stealing, sin. Gossip, Sin. Blowing up at people and getting angry. Sin. These are not debatable issues. The Bible is very clear that these things are sin. Sin. To err. To miss the mark. To wander from the path of our brightness. To violate God's law. That's what sin is. Anything that misses the mark of God's holiness. In fact, I'll give you a further definition. A biblical definition of sin is the failure to obey Christ in action, attitude, and nature. So your actions can be sinful, your attitudes can be sinful, and oh yeah, by the way, if you're having a really good day, just remember, your nature has is, is, is been corrupted by sin, all right? Uh, by nature, you don't need to learn how to sin, you're just going to do it. Sin is not debatable. Sin is diametrically opposed to the character and desires of God. Sin is evil, and there's nothing good in sin. I need to say that. Sometimes we, we want to get right up to the line and maybe get close or maybe just sin a little bit because we think there's some good in it, but there's no good in sin. It's deception. It's a corruption from God's goodness. God is fully good and he's incapable of sinning. It's not in his character. God cannot sin. Now someone might think, well, Wait, God can't sin? That seems like a limitation. No, 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 it's not a limitation. It speaks to his purity and his holiness. He cannot do it, which means this. Our God is incorruptible. If sin is a corruption, our God is incapable of being corrupted, which means this, he's pure and he's perfect, which means that his words will always give life, which means his promises will always come through, which means God is dependable. Where sin is selling something, it can't deliver. God will always deliver within his promises. Yet in culture today, not only... Are we redefining what is sin? Some people are denying it altogether. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he warned us of this. Isaiah 5, 20 states, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Sin is not a negotiable thing. 
Sin cannot be redefined by groupthink. Sin cannot be redefined just because we're tired of, of God's ways. God's ways are unchangeable, and we must seek to please the one instead of seeking to please the current of the majority. Sin is not a debatable issue. Another issue that's not up for debate is the supremacy of Scripture. The supremacy of Scripture. Uh, this, this Bible is the Word of God. Your Bible, your app that's on it is the Word of God. This is God's complete revelation for you. Uh, if you want to know what God's will for your life is, you must be in this book. If you want to realize the voice that you're hearing, if it's your voice, the lasagna from the night before, or the voice of the Holy Spirit, you need to be in this book. This is God's love letter to you because he gave you his revelation so you can know him perfectly. God's word. God's word, it is authoritative. All scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We take God at his word. And sometimes it's easy. It's easy to quote God as love, but there's other passages. Oh, it's gonna get you into trouble with culture. But we gotta trust God in his word. We take God at his word. The culture would rather find truth in themselves. But we must find truth in God, in his word. We live in a culture where we want to live my truth, the way I see it. Well, how does God see it? What does God have to say? There's an opposite thing happening in the church, though, too. Is yes, culture twists and doesn't know the word of God, but a majority in the church today, if we're honest, uh, we're not in the word of God in the way that we know it, we can live it, we can breathe it, right? And yet there is, a, there is definitely something creeping into the church right now. It's not good. It's something super, super mystical where people want to experience God. They want to hear his voice, which those are good things. Experiencing God and hearing his voice is very good. But they want to do these things Apart from scripture, uh, they have no hunger for the word of God. They might hear the pastor read a few passages, right? But they just want to experience. They want to go swimming in the Lord. And I want to tell you right now, you will not be swimming into truth. You'll be swimming into whatever you're feeling. You'll be swimming into mysticism. And that's why I see a lot of Christians today are espousing and using terminology that's straight up new age. It's not in the Bible. We, we must be a church that embraces the things of the Holy Spirit, that we experience God in the today right now, but it must never be devoid of the word of God because we will drift right into a cult. The word of God is authoritative. The Bible is God's word, and God's word is the ultimate definition of what is true and what is not true. God's word is itself truth. Uh, we don't judge God's word of being truthful by some other standard of truth. Uh, God's word is true, which means uh, the way that we gather truth is through God's word. That is the standard. That is the supreme court of God's revelation in truth. It's all authoritative. It's without error. The Bibles that we have today have been, have been kept. Jesus said that not even the smallest letter will disappear. It's clear, it speaks to every issue that pertains to salvation and being more like Christ. Uh, it is necessary. Without the word of God, we would be lost and it is sufficient. We don't need a sequel. If somebody's knocking on your door, I have another testament. You need to slam that door. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you, need, you need to talk to that person and share with them 
the sufficiency of who Jesus Christ is. It's sufficient. So the supremacy of Scripture, that is a non-debatable issue. Another thing that's non-debatable is the foundations of our faith. These may be called the fundamentals of our faith. So in addition to sin in the Bible that are, that are not debatable, things like the character of God. Uh, he's unchangeable. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Uh, he's omnipresent. Uh, those things are non-debatable. The Bible's very clear about who God is and his character. Uh, we believe that God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we believe that God is a trinity. If someone says there's no trinity, I want you to know this right now. Uh, they are walking away from Orthodox Christianity. Uh, we believe in the virgin birth uh, that Jesus Christ was not born like you or I was. Uh, he was born in a miraculous nature. He was, but the Holy Spirit came over Mary and she gave birth as a virgin. Uh, we believe in the God-man. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He came as a sinless man-God uh, completely to stand in our place, to go to the cross, to be complete substitutionary atonement for our sins we believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And oh yes, we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. These are things that are non-negotiable, but the reason why I have to bring them up this morning is because if you listen to podcasts or you listen to people that want some attention or you want some people to kind of nuance something a new way, they're trying to nuance these. I was talking to somebody in the last couple of years and as I was having dinner with them, they were being very open and they were sharing how they're beginning to rethink the fundamentals of the faith. And one by one, Jesus just was pulling down a support beam after support beam after support beam. When you begin to question the fundamentals of the faith, of who Jesus Christ is, why he came to this earth, uh, when he, questioning his death on the cross or his resurrection, when you begin to question these foundational things, it's like, pulling, uh, it's like pulling the support beams underneath the floor. It will hold you for a bit, but eventually it's gonna collapse and it'll leave your faith in ruin. In ruin. These are not debatable issues. Paul warned the Corinthian church who was embroiled in controversy with debatable issues. The church was fighting over all sorts of opinion and preferences. But Paul wanted them to make sure that he knew what was black and white as he began to talk about what was gray. Too many things that are said to be gray today are actually black and white. And I want to bring this up because I don't want you to hear anything I say today and try to move what's very clear in Scripture into the gray. We're going to talk about in the weeks ahead are, are things that the Bible doesn't speak explicitly to or where there's debates among theologians and where we need to have grace and mercy between each other. Because when I'm looking at Kenosha City Church, I love this. We have people from all different backgrounds. We have many people that used to go to the Catholic Church. We have many people that used to go to the Lutheran Church. We have a lot of people from different backgrounds of Baptist backgrounds and Pentecostal backgrounds and charismatic backgrounds. Listen, and I love that because we need to have both wings, right, on the plane if we're going to take off. Spirit and truth, we need to embrace it all, right? All in the Bible we need to embrace. And so we're going to be very clear here at Kenosha City Church is that we embrace biblical truth and we're not going to waver from that. But we do know because we're human and we have opinions that people may have the propensity to go to war on things you ought not to go to war on. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's what Paul was talking about. In the Corinthian church, they began to have arguments over personalities and over spiritual gifts and over a number of things that Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys are emphasizing things at the expense of something greater. 
And he told the Corinthian church this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. He said, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What, what he was telling the Corinthian church was this. You have a bunch of opinions. We're going to talk about it. But I don't want you to miss what is most important. The death and resurrection of Jesus. You miss that, we're just wasting air. And so we should contend for the resurrection. We should contend for the things, as Paul put it, of first importance. But often the church, we contend for things that are of less importance at the expense of the greater. I'm going to tell you, 4,500 churches would not have closed in our last data if people are contending of what's most important. And you know what's going to happen if we keep this up? If, if the church in the West keeps on wanting to fight for their opinions, we're going to shrink, we're going to shrink, we're going to shrink, and then we'll have an aha moment as they're having right now in Europe. We can't shrink anymore. We're actually going to have to, you know, contend for what's most important, right? The early church found itself fighting each other with debatable issues. And so Romans 14, we get a glimpse of two of these debatable issues, and they're fun. You ready? Debatable issue number one, meat sacrificed to idols. Come on, that's a big one today, right? Meat sacrificed to idols. Anyway, welcome anyone who's weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed, disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who's weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Verse four, uh, who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Notice first one right off the bat. Paul uses the phrase weak in faith. This is a person uh, who's weak, is someone in Paul's definition, uh, creates standards or rules that go above what scripture prescribes. Uh, this is a person, whether it be their upbringing, their traditions, or even addictions, uh, that if they're to take part in said a debatable issue, it may ruin their faith. Uh, now, Paul's not creating a two-tiered Christianity. You know, the, the weak people will sit over here and the strong Christians over here. Like, sometimes we use that terminology like, man, he's just a strong Christian. Or, oh, man, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of weak or whatever. Like, sometimes we use that terminology. I don't know if that's incredibly helpful. I think there's seasoned Christians. There's people that are mature. But you must admit this. Even if you're a seasoned, mature Christian, you have a weakness, you have things that you're weak at. And so I think sometimes when you're like, I'm a seasoned Christian, watch out lest you fall, right? Watch out. And so that's not exactly how Paul's using these terms. He's using the weaker Christian as somebody who has a weakness or has an understanding that might not really be in line with Scripture, how they're using their passion. Does that make sense? So you can be mature in the faith and yet have different opinions on disputable matters. But get this, in the differences in the minors, all our focus must be on the majors of the gospel. And the word and the empowerment of his spirit. We, we, don't, we don't need to get sidetracked by other issues that actually stunt and divide our growth because all our energy is being spent on these minor issues. And so our weakness can really siphon, it can really siphon our energies of the most important things. So we see here we have the weaker and we have the stronger. The weaker is one who thinks they can't eat meat. Look at this, verse 2. One believes he may eat anything 
while the one who is weak eats only vegetables. And all the meat eaters are like, yep, <laughs> I'm a strong Christian. Why? Because I got a barbecue, I smoke my ribs, I'm strong according to Paul. Did you read that? And this isn't about, you know, judging somebody who eats an impossible burger, all right? And listen, I think impossible burgers are impossible to eat, all right? And uh, you just see what I just did. I just made the meat eaters happy, and I made the vegetarians and vegans mad. And this is what was happening in the church. People were starting to spout off things. Like, I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you'd have this view. And listen, here's the deal. We begin to divide things up in the faith over silly things, Some would eat meat, some would not. Why? Well, it had to do because the meat were sacrificed to idols. The city of Rome and throughout the empire was filled with idol temples. And people would bring meat to sacrifice to these idols. Uh, and so the priests would take the meat. And when the people would put it before the little idol, and the people would turn away and they'd walk back to their home, the priest is like, sweet. He'd take the piece of meat. He'd go over to his little shop he'd set up in the street. He'd put the meat down and he'd slap a discount price on it. And whatever money he got for the meat, he got to put it in his pocket, Right? It was a racket, and it's a ripoff. And listen, for the people putting the meat on the idol, they ought to know the idol's not going to eat it. He's just a stone slab, right? And this is what some of the Christians are like. They're like, hey, I was walking down the market the other day. They had half-priced meat, right? It's like $8 a pound down the street. But I went to the idol market, and it's like $2 a pound. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't eat there. Well, I did. Why? Because it's on them, right? People are bringing their meat and the idol's fake. Like, it's a sale and I just bought a whole year's worth, took it to the locker. Who's coming to eat meat at my place today? And some girls are like, how am I doing that? Why? How dare you support them? You're supporting the idol people. You're supporting them and putting money in the idol priest's pocket. How dare you think that you can buy meat because it's half price off and yet you're somehow getting all the meat you want for the year but you are supporting the temple. Now, if I were to take a little, uh, let's just do this. Let's just do it. Let's have some fun here, right? You didn't think today we're going to divide on meat sacrificed by idols. Let's just do a little poll, all right? If you're with the Christian who's like, I'm getting myself some half-priced meat at the idol market, raise your hand, right? Okay? All right? We have some people going to the idol market, all right? And the other people in the church are like, how dare you, right? Raise your hand right now. I'm not giving those idol people my money. How many people are that way, right? Raise your hand. Raise your hand, all right? I'm my hand, that would be me. And you're like, I know what this sounds like. This sounds like every boycott we hear every other week. How dare you give Disney money? How dare you give Starbucks money? How dare you? And here's the deal. I listen, I watch, I have some convictions. There's some places I don't go into. I'm not gonna say it because I, that's my personal conviction. They decided to make a few rules on some bathrooms and some other things. I'm like, see you later, right? But I didn't come up here and say, okay, guys, here's my latest boycott list. And if you don't do this, you're not in good standing with Kenosha City Church. I'm not going to do that. But that's what was happening in the early church. You had people that were going to the idol market buying some half-priced meat. And then you have some other people saying, hey, wait a minute. Why are you giving money to the idol people? And then there were some other people. There's these other people that's like, I'm not going to buy meat in the idol market. Why? Because I used to be a pagan. If I go over there and I buy meat from, the, from a priest that I know, in a weak moment, I may go back to being a pagan. I ain't going anywhere near that temple. And now you can see the mess of the gray, right? Every person I gave you had a reasonable reason for what they were doing. And it was causing a problem in the church. 
here's the deal. What we're going to see in the weeks to come, and this issue, and you're like, Andy, Lando, like, what one's right? What one's right? Oh, we're going to get that in a couple weeks. I'm laying down the foundation. But love and wisdom needs to be in operation whenever an argument like that breaks out. Because if it's not, Satan wins every time because your eyes are off the gospel. All right, that's debate number one. Meat sacrifice to idols. And oh yes, I will even give you my opinion uh, of, uh, of where I would land. Well, I already told you, but like why, all right? And by the way, I know other theologians that would be diametrically opposed, right? I'd be, I would be one like, I ain't giving the, the idol person money, all right? Okay? But there are other reasons why maybe you would or would not, okay? Debate number two. All right, if it's not the meat market, the debate number two in the church had to do with worship. Oh, go figure, right? And it was on the day of worship. Here it is, Romans chapter 14, verse five. One person judges one day to be more important than the other day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse six, whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it's for the Lord. And that he does not eat it, he gives thanks to God. So we see here it's about intent, right? And we see here there's another fight breaking out, and it's on the issue of worship. You thought worship was just a 1990s thing. In the 1990s, I said that people were fighting over the styles of worship. Uh, today, uh, people are fighting over, let me check my notes here. Oh, yeah, just the style of worship and how they want worship to feel. I guess we haven't changed. It hasn't been any change since the day of the Romans, right? And so people today, they may be like, I just want the spontaneous song and feel of the upper room, right? And other people are like, I want Darlene Check from a Hillsong in 2005. Some of you are like, I have no clue what any of those things are. People fight over these things, right? Some people are like, I really like this hymn from 1850, right? And God is up in heaven just like, oh, come on, people, don't fight, just worship. Worship, right? And you need to worship in spirit and truth. There are some worship songs out there that are complete junk. I love how our team, uh, when, we have, when they do a song that's up here, if it's theologically incorrect, uh, they're not going to do it, right? But how often we miss the mark by making much about something else. He wants us to be available. He wants us to be sensitive to the things of God. Okay, ran over on that, but listen, the fight in the early church was on the day and time of worship. The Jewish Christians wanted worship to stay on Saturday. They're like, look, Gentiles, for the last 1,500 years, we've worshiped on Saturday, and if it was good enough for Moses, it's good enough for me, all right? Ain't broke, why fix it, right? And the Gentile Christians are like, well, hold up here, uh, did you miss the memo? There was this God man that came. His name was Jesus. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead on hmm, Sunday morning. And so they're in the parking lot fighting over dates and times and when they should have church. And Paul's like, ah, oh, come on. And Paul would go on to say, he, he agrees with Sunday morning, but he's like, guys, you're missing the heart of it. Like, you're, you're not gonna go to hell if you have church on a Thursday night, right? In the Muslim world today, Christians have church on a Thursday night. Uh, that's when the beginning of the weekend happens, right? Uh, you, you aren't displeasing God by what time or day you're gonna do church. 
have church. But if you want it to really make sense, then yeah, Sunday morning, that makes sense. I'm with you, Gentiles, but high five, yeah, right on. But listen, we don't need to fight about that. The big thing's the gospel. Now, some of you are like, I've heard of the seven-day Adventists, right? Uh, they worship on Saturday. I'm like, oh, really? Well, I, I always, you know, kind of stayed away from seven-day Adventism because, you know, I thought the Saturday thing was weird. So I guess, are you saying that's okay? No, 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 no. The reason why I would consider seven-day Adventists outside orthodoxy, uh, outside biblical truth, isn't because of Saturday per se, uh, even though Sunday makes sense and that's, we're not moving Sunday, okay? You hear that? Uh, it's because their theology is based on works-based salvation, did you get that? And so we had a debate on the day of worship. What we see from these two divisive issues in the early church is that church is diverse with ideas and opinions and preferences. In fact, I'm going to give you something if you're taking notes. You need to write this down because this may be the most important thing you've ever written down in your life. Some of you are like, oh, I know what he's doing. All right, just write it down. You're going to want this. You're going to put it on your mirror. You might want to frame this. You know, you might want to go to an Etsy shop and have you, have you make a, a nice frame to put above your couch in the living room. Here is the point I don't want you to miss. It's bonus. You ready? Lean in. The church is full of diverse people, and we like to divide over silly things. And so, But why is this? Here it is. Lean in. Not everyone is you. Did you get that? Oh, Holy Spirit, let this like sink into our head and into our heart right now, okay? I'm gonna say it again. This one's a big one. Not everyone is you. And I forget that sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'm like, Allison, why aren't people doing it this way? Or Allison, why don't people see it this way? And sometimes she has to remind me, hey, Andy, not everyone is you. And heaven, heaven forbid if they were, right? <laughs> not everyone is you. Not everyone is me, which means we're going to have different opinions on things. That's okay. The church is filled with people, young and old, men and women, different ethnicities, rich and poor, uh, different temperaments that you can fill a temper tantrum in a nursery, right? Uh, we all have opinions, and we're not perfect people, but the gospel unites us to be people made new. And the differences that we have on an issue or opinion, it, it can make our community rich. Don't make the major minor and the minor major. All right, so let's get to two practical things. We see the debate. Now let's take two practical principles. I'm going to give you some homework, and then we're going to get into some doozy stuff in the next couple weeks. Are right, you ready? Number one is this. When it comes to debatable issues, don't judge the heart. Don't judge the heart. Romans 14, verse 1. Welcome anyone who is weak in faith... But don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while the other one is weak and eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his, before his own Lord, he will stand or fall, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 may be worldwide one of the most quoted passages. Here it is, verse 4. Who are you to judge? How many of you have heard that before? Oh, you Christians, who are you to judge, you know? Uh, you know usually it's a tagline. You, you say whatever you want to say. You know what, I'm going to do this, and who are you to judge, right? It's like this tagline that gives blessing to whatever we're going to do, foolish or not, sinful or not. Like, you know, who are you to judge? Or, oh, I know that person's doing that, but who are we to judge, right? 
It's the world's favorite verse, and it's so twisted and taken out of context. Who am I to judge? First off, we can't judge anybody uh, from a biblical standpoint. When you say judge, you're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, We will all die, and we will all stand before the Lord God Almighty. And there's two judgments. The first judgment is this, is did you know Christ? Did you place your faith and trust in Christ alone? If the answer is yes, uh, you get eternity with Christ. If the answer is no, it's eternity away from him in a place called the lake of fire. The second judgment is this. It's how we lived our life. For, for Christians, you will be, you're, the way you lived your life will be judged not in a salvific way, but in a way what the Bible calls a reward. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. He's not talking about salvation. What he's talking about is this, is there's heavenly reward for the way that you conduct your life in this life. And all i got to say is, I don't know what heavenly reward is, but if gold is the pavement, it's going to be sweet. And it's going to be something that our consumeristic, finite hearts and minds can't understand. It's going to be awesome. And if it's from God, I'm in. I'm in. And yet, the church often is seen as a judgmental place. We can't judge from a biblical standpoint because we aren't going to be sitting at the judgment seat. Some of us think that we are anointed enough to sit in the judgment seat. Nope, you're out. And you're, and you're, no, 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 that, that's not the case. We need to be clear on what, on what scripture is clear on. And when you have grace and where there's a gray area. And always an attitude whether the person's wrong or not. With a, a spirit of mercy and grace so we can point them towards the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because too often we think judgmentalism is a fruit of the spirit. It's not. The judgmental person is often that person who thinks they can see into somebody's heart the secrets of somebody's heart and know their motives or understand their intentions. I'm just gifted this way. I just know that person. I'm just, they're just off. You do not have the all-seeing eye of God and can see in their hearts. You, you can maybe have a hunch or you can maybe be warned about something, I guess, or you can maybe see things. But listen, even in that, you're not God and you can be wrong. Man, I'm glad that not one of us will be sitting on the throne judging fellow human beings, right? If they can get into heaven or not. Listen, we know that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gets you into heaven, period. But the judgmental person, we've seen them. They come in the room, they're never happy, right? It's just never enough. The person's doing that because they want to be seen. Oh, this place today, it's just, it's not, it's just... Just, you aren't praising hard enough today. I mean, come on. Did you see how awesome that, that, that worship team was? And you guys just, oh, it just wasn't enough. Or man, there's just a not enough prayer. God, uh, you're just not you're just going hard enough in your scriptures. You read two hours of scripture yesterday. Why not three? It's never good enough for the judgmental person. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's born out of personal insecurities. When you're insecure, you have to find your security in somebody else doing it worse or not good enough. It's not grace. We will all fall into a judgmental position at one point or not not in our life. But I want to speak to the person who wants to live in a lifestyle of a judgmental attitude. You will be uncomfortable at Kenosha City Church. Not that you're welcome to come here, but we're not going to platform judgmental attitudes. We want to platform grace and truth Born out of scripture. Now the scripture's clear. 
He doesn't need, the Lord doesn't need our judgment and attitude, no. But he wants to use us to encourage and build one another up. And that looks way different than a judgmental attitude. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burden. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If someone's caught in a sin, you don't blast them to pieces. You go for the heart. If someone's caught in sin, you pray for them. You contend for them. Uh, you, you love them. You're heartbroken for them. But you restore them in what is actually sin, not something that's judgmental, uh, not something you have a hunch or it's collective gossip. Christians, we are to build one another up, not tear one another down. And you never tear someone down to, to build yourself up. Don't confront somebody out of your own insecurity, but rather encourage one another within your security in Christ. So debatable issues? Oh, we're going to want to get judgmental on that. Paul's saying no, not at all. Don't judge the heart. Second thing when it comes to debatable issues, you need to live by humble conviction. This is so key. You need to live by humble conviction. If you miss this, you can end up in ruin. I want you to listen. Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One person judges one day to be more important than the other. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Notice that in verse 5. Let each one be fully convinced in their own mind. What is your conviction on a debatable area? Uh, if you are doing it with the right intention of your heart, you're going to say, God, what do you want for me in this area? God, I am fully convinced in this, in this area. Uh, you know, people are like, what movie should I watch or whatever? Listen, I will never watch a movie with nudity in it, period, right? And I think that's actually scriptural, right? But some people, they, they might turn the meter down a little bit. Well, you know, if, if, uh, if, if there's one cuss word, it's out. It's like, and if anybody else watches a movie with one cuss word, you're out too. Well, man, that's a debatable issue, isn't it? I think there might be wisdom in that said issue, but, but are you going to put that on somebody else to where they're not walking and growing in Christ if they watched a, a PG movie with, a, with a bad, one bad cuss word? Again, these are debatable issues. And, and so we need to walk with humble conviction that, you know what, every time I watch a movie, when you know what I do? I go to Plugged In and I see what's in it. And I know I'm now responsible not being surprised. Right? We need to have Conviction. For instance, I mentioned this years ago, but I had a friend who, they were in seminary, and they said, you know what, I'm going to go to the bars, and I'm going to witness. Some of you say, well, that's debatable. If he's going to go there, you know, he's going to a place that people need Jesus. Here's the problem. Uh, previous alcoholic and had previous problems with women. All right? Should he go there? I, thought, this, I don't think this is a good idea. Why? It's like, invite the person you want to a coffee shop, uh, you know, a place that you're not going to have, you know, some temptation. He's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Call, he called me names, called me legalist, all this different stuff. I'm like, okay, no, I'm just, I, it's wisdom. But okay, you got to stand before God. You got to be convinced. He went in. After a few weeks, he started getting drunk, and he started making bad decisions with the people at the bar. His conviction was weak. And over time, he gave in. And everything we do, everything must be done with intentionality before our Lord. 
with a clear conscience and conviction of why we are doing what we're doing. And listen, we can't game God. We can say, well, I'm doing this to the glory of God. Are you really? All right? Uh, it needs to be to the glory of God. And if we doubt, oh, Paul has a warning for us. And we'll talk about this in the weeks to come, but I'm going to borrow it. It's Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Paul says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because if their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. If you don't have conviction, if you're not doing what you're doing in faith, it's actually sin because you're violating your conscience. And violating a conscience, that's a big deal. My time at Trinity, remember there was this, uh, my freshman year at Trinity, or my first year at Trinity, excuse me, I transferred in, so it would be my junior year of Trinity. Um, I, there was this girl, and, and she always would put her hair up. And I, it came to our attention, the reason why she had her hair up is that the first time her hair was going to be down was going to be uh, when her husband sees her on their wedding day. I thought, well, that's kind of odd. Okay, uh, it's not scriptural, but I guess if that's what she wants to do, whatever, right? And so for months upon months, that, that first school year, her hair every day was up in a ponytail. And then one day she got a boyfriend. And then the next day her hair was down. And my heart sunk, not because... She broke the rule. I thought the rule was kind of silly. It's because so easily the conviction was out the window. And I was like, uh-oh. And within weeks, she was getting a fake ID. Within weeks, she was bar hopping. Within weeks, she was dropping her Bible studies. You see, the thing is, if we're so easy to throw our convictions we have before the Lord out, even on disputable manners, I want you to know you could end up in ruin. And that's Paul's warning. We need to live by humble conviction. Allow your conviction to fall in line with the Bible, but don't quickly throw things out. You need to know why, with intentionality, you're doing what you are doing. Oftentimes, Christians do what other Christians are doing just because everyone's doing it, but that's not what Scripture says for us to do. Be fully convinced before the Lord. Too often, weaker Christians are being hurt by so-called strong Christians because weaker Christians are, are following strong Christians uh, into their activity, and they're not asking God, should I be doing this? And strong Christians, likewise, think they're being strong in their activity, but actually they're, they're, they're delusional. They're weak in it. And here's the deal. We need to be real before God and say, God, I know weak as I am. I need you to strengthen me, and my life isn't about me. My life's end goal isn't to be entertained or to be happy in myself. My life's goal is to glorify you. And as I glorify you, oh, I am going to find eternal happiness and joy that comes through me. So today, we laid the foundation of the principle. Don't make the major minor and the minor major. So we're not going to judge the heart of people. We're going to live by humble conviction Next week, we're going to talk about how we're going to be, need to be ready for Christ. But in two weeks, this is, where, this, is where everybody, this is where you wanted me to start, right? In two weeks, we're going to get specific, right? Because I know you want, I mean, in, in fact, email me, all right? Andy at Kenosha.Church. If you have like, hey, what about this? All right? Great. All right? I'll, I'll, I'll hit on it. All right? That's my promise to you. You give it to me, I'll at least mention it, all right? I'll give it a shout out. But in two weeks... We're going to talk about what, what, is, what is debatable. You're going to find that some things that you thought were gray were actually black and white, and God doesn't want you to be involved with that at all. Or you're going to find some things that you thought were black and white, maybe they're gray, and you're going to use these principles of how to navigate those things. So here's a short list of already what I have. Harry Potter. Okay, that's from the nine, 
20 years ago, but some people are like, oh, Harry Potter, blah, blah, okay, whatever. Drinking, yoga, sexuality, dancing, essential oils, Halloween, getting a tattoo, listening to non-Christian music, cussing, public school. Those, listen, some of these areas are black and white. Some of them are great. We're gonna talk about it. Do I have your attention? That sound like, oh, I'm not gonna miss that one, right? <laughs> but listen, that's exciting that we're gonna talk about those things, but man, do I, my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would come over our hearts and we would get even more excited about the most important thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason why we're gonna talk about these things, yes, it brings clarity, yes, it helps us navigate, but it also clears the room for us to make sure what's the most important stays the most important. It doesn't mean that we can't talk about things that are debatable. It doesn't mean that we can't talk about things that are of lesser importance. No, you, you need to. And sometimes God get, puts a burden on your heart to be about those things. But what I want you to know is no matter what is in your life, no matter what you fill up your calendar with, no matter what you're passionate about, it can never be at the expense of the most important things. And that is why churches are closing. But I believe that we can switch this. I believe that even the city, we can see a renewal and revival in hearts if we stick our eyes on the most important thing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? So here is our application today, and then, uh, then we'll worship and spend some time with God. Where have you been fighting the wrong fight? What's been consuming your mind, and it's been straying you from the gospel? Number two... Where are you most judgmental? Where are you judging things from a, from a spot? You know, oftentimes when we're judgmental, we're blind. Uh, and, and in society today, I'd say one of the greatest things I'm seeing is deflection. It's called the rubber man uh, in premarital counseling. You know, it's like, you, you know, your spouse says something to you, and then you're like, uh-uh, and it bounces right off you, and you throw it right back to them. Nuh-uh, you do this, right? Deflection, we're, if, if we have a judgmental spirit, it's often deflection. Where are you most judgmental? Number three, where are you being a stumbling block towards others? Maybe you're living in so-called freedom and you have a damaged trail of people behind you because they're taking your example on something that's actually ruining other people. We're gonna talk more about that in the, in the weeks to come, but I want, you to begin to think, I want you to begin to think about that is where are you being a stumbling block towards others? And fourth, how are you going to reach someone for Christ this week? That's again of most importance. How are you gonna pray for them? How are you gonna care for them? How are you gonna share with them? Who are you gonna invite next week? Again, we wanna stick on Jesus's agenda. And the most important is this, the grave is empty. And remember when we get really worked up on something, of that is, that's of an opinion nature or, and again, I'm not talking about major things, okay? I'm talking about just opinions. When we get really worked up on the color of carpet or the style of a song or whatever, just remember the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. So Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you give us wisdom to how to navigate the complexity of being a human being with opinions. <laughs> Father, I pray today that we would keep our eyes on what's most important, and that's you. That's your word. And it's the empowerment and filling of your Holy Spirit to being faithful, obedient servants of you. Father, I pray for anybody in this room today that they haven't done the most important thing they can do in their life, that they would do that right now. In fact, as we continue to pray, I just wanna to speak to anybody in this room. Have you done the most important thing that you need to do in your life? 
The most important thing that you can do in your life, there's a lot of important things. The most important thing is making sure you're right with Almighty God. That if Jesus Christ were to come back today or you were to die to be with him, that you would be assured that you would spend eternity with him. Are, do you know with 100% that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That you are in good standing with him? If you're uncertain or you know that you've never made Jesus Christ your personal savior in your life, today is the day. You see, God created you to have a relationship with him. But our sin, the things that are diametrically opposed to his character, the sin that we committed in our life through our actions, our attitude, through our nature, they separated us from Almighty God. But God being full of love and mercy, his mercy is indeed a miracle. He came to this earth as the God-man, fully God, fully man, to stand in your place by dying on a cross to pay for the sins that separate you from God, pay for them past, present, future. The wrath of God was poured on Jesus where he felt all the sins, the, the, the pain and shame of sin in that one moment. And he said, it is finished on the cross. He was buried, but because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, death could not keep him. He rose from the dead. He's coming back, and we have the opportunity to be made right, and we're made right by placing our full faith and trust in Christ alone. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, and you will be saved. All those who cry on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just cry out to him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, save me. I place my faith and trust in you alone. In fact, in fact, if that's you, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if today you're making, you're, you are saying yes to Jesus, you're placing your faith and trust in him alone. If this is the day that you're doing it, uh, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, will you just slip up your hand right now? Say, yeah, that's me. I, I'm, I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Lord Jesus, thank you for those that are saying yes to you this morning. And God, I pray for everybody now in this room that are followers of Christ. Lord, I pray that today, you'd help us fight the right fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. Help us be people of grace and not judgmental attitudes. Help us be people of truth, but that we do it in love. And help us not be a stumbling block towards others. God, I pray that we're sensitive to your spirit this morning. Speak to us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.